This morning we take a look at the offertory in the divine service. Sometimes, when usually when I say the offertory, I'm simply talking about uh, the canticle, the singing of Psalm 51, parts of it with create in me. But uh, you can talk about it as being a little bit broader than that. Um, the offertory can uh, be thought of as having actually three parts to it. Uh, the first part is called the offertory <coughs> sentences. They are simply verses of the Psalms that are used. They usually vary by season, although it, it could vary by uh, like a high festival or, or, or something like that. So it's, it's not quite as variable normally as, let's say, the propers for the day, which change and the colic changes and, and all. But it, it definitely could change. Uh, in most of our uh, services, there's only been one or two in the, uh, the Augustana. There is created me as listed Psalm 51. Uh, is the only option that is actually listed uh, right there. There are some others, for example, going on in some. Sure, those aren't the right uh, verse numbers. Uh, those are the same. Um, that's still out of uh, Psalm 51, but it's lighter. Uh, maybe 20, I think it is, 20, 22 or something. Or what shall I render to the Lord, Psalm 116. Uh, the second part of the offertory is the reception and the placing of the offerings uh, at the front. Uh, it could be upon the altar. Usually uh, it's not. Usually it is placed on a shelf, on a credence table, on, on, on something like that. Um, it definitely is presented, the altar being a, a symbol of God's presence among us. It's definitely offered you know, up to him. Usually there is a like a liturgical action of such in which the pastor uh, uh, bows or kind of presents them this way and then moves them off to the side with Lord's Supper coming up. Uh, and then the third part of the offertory is the general prayer. Uh I'm planning on getting through the first two parts of this. We'll take a look at the general prayer probably next Sunday if, if I get through it. So uh, this is considered the offertory, uh, the sentences, the reception of the offering, and the general prayer. I don't have the hymnals down here. We put them upstairs because starting next Sunday we'll be using those hymnals for the first part of the service. That is up through the sermon itself, and then using the blue hymn, the Lutheran worship, for the last part of the service. We've gone through and done all the teaching for the first part. Uh, there's not much that is is difficult or different. Uh, the Gloria in Excelsis uh, is pretty well from uh, the Lutheran hymnal. Uh, so it's, it's not the same as Lutheran worship. The words are the same. The tune's just a little different. Other than that, you're going to see that it pretty well goes. We've already been using the collects. We've been using the readings. Uh, we've been using the introit and gradual. That's there. Uh, that'll be pretty similar. But that starts, starts next Sunday. Uh, this Sunday, we will be 
uh, receiving the offering. We had uh, been placing that in the back of the church. So, uh, just to kind of give you a, uh, how that's going to work, uh, I'm going to follow the order as it is in the Augustana, and you'll see why in just a minute. With the sermon then being concluded, it says the congregation shall rise. So normally we rise for the singing of Create in Me, uh, followed by the prayers. Uh, once the sermon is done, we'll stand up. I will say the votum, uh, the peace of God would pass us all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. As I usually do, I will announce then that we will be singing the offertory, page 143, <coughs> we'll already be standing for it, uh, and so we will sing that, and then be seated for the receiving of the offerings, and then we'll follow the general prayer. In the Augustana, again, that's that order, you rise, you say the votum. It says down here, the offering then shall be chanted or said at the conclusion of the con- at the conclusion of which the congregation may be seated for the offering. That's what we'll do. Uh, then the offerings will be gathered, uh, placed upon the altar. Uh, then the offertory, the create in me. We'll take a look at that. And the congregation shall stand following the collection of the offering and shall follow then the general prayer. We'll get to that general prayer next time. Are we going to do the offertory out of there? Or is it LW today? Today is all LW. Okay. There's not... Yeah. Um, nope, I didn't change it on you. Okay. You're still alright. <laughs> Even... Uh, Even next Sunday, we still won't be to this, because everything after the sermon will will revert to the blue hymnal. So it'll be a pretty easy switch. Pick it up for here, set it down, pick up the next one. We don't have to flip back and forth. We don't have to go back and forth. All right. Uh, So those are the the three parts. Let's take a look at the offertory itself. Which is from Psalm 51. You're going to need to get your hymnal out, or your hymnal. You're going to need to get your Bible out. You're going to need to turn to Psalm 51. Again, this was a variable part of the service. However, it pretty well uh, uh, settled upon the words of "Create in me," and that's been pretty well without. Change there, there you you can, but it it, it hasn't hasn't resulted. Uh, Lutherans are quite content uh, to sing the Psalm 51, the Create in Me, after the sermon. Psalm 51, page 562 in your Bible. It begins, and this is a penitential psalm, a repentant psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Pretty well serves almost as an antiphon of sorts, or at least as a summary. Uh, If you think about your uh, speech class in high school, you know, you give a summary at the beginning, tell them what you're going to tell them, then you give the three points, then you tell them what you told them, you know. Well, it's getting ready, and what's it going to 
what we're going to do is we're going to ask for mercy. We're going to ask for uh, the the sins to be taken away and, and cleansing. Uh, pretty well uh, an overview. Psalm or verse three. For I know my transgression; my sin is always before you, before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Verse 3 through 6 is a confession. Um, It's a confession of, I've got transgressions and I know them. Uh, I know I've been sinful from birth. When you point them out, you are right. <laughs> and I acknowledge it. Uh, so, so that's the beginning. Verse 7 through 9. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Forgiveness. Uh, I need cleansing. Uh, in the Old Testament, the hyssop branch was a symbol of cleansing. Often where there was uh, water or blood that was sprinkled on the people, you dipped it in a hyssop branch and you used that. Um uh, it was kind of a mixed metaphor. A hyssop branch, I would liken it to, it's not the same shape or, or, or whatever, but I would liken it to those, what is it, lufus? A lufus sponge. Is it a sponge? Yeah, it's a sponge. A lufus sponge. Um, uh, I was in a... I was in a shower one time, and they had one of those there, and I thought, well, that would be... Yeah. All right. Ouch! I don't know who does that, you know. Um, Wow! Uh, I never knew that forgiveness was so... uh, uh, But but that's true. I mean, there is a a cleansing, a getting the dirt off. There is a... uh, an exfoliating of sin <laughs> um, that happens. And so uh, they use, you know, that as well and, and a blotting out of, of iniquity and, and, and all. Verse 10. And so this is our... Oh, did I get that right on that one verse? Oh, I think I must change both of them. So the creating me, that top one ought to be verse 10 uh, to 12. Okay. <coughs> 10 to 12. There we go. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Psalm 51 moves from confession and forgiveness, or what we would normally call justification, to sanctification. Now that I have confessed my sins, now that you have forgiven me, I ask that you might bring forth in me, give me this heart inside of me, a clean heart, so that 
I desire what is right. Uh, um, a sinful heart will desire sins. A clean heart will desire clean and right and good things. Put a right spirit. Uh, this is not this is not speaking of the Holy Spirit, but a willing spirit. Um, as we would talk about body, soul, and spirit, uh, we're, we're now asking that we desire, and that's what sanctification is. Justification is when God, who in Jesus gives me his forgiveness, sanctification, whereas God actually works in me the right desires and good stuff. Both are his work. So now start putting a right spirit within me, renew it so that I desire it, uh, Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Uh, And so we're talking about this willingness. We're talking about the Holy Spirit that continues to work in me. Uh, Only he can give me that joy that comes after I know that I'm forgiven. Um, uh, Maybe you've experienced as well where there have been times that uh, you have come to the realization of your sin. It has troubled you greatly. You have uh, sought out and maybe heard the words of forgiveness. I forgive you your sins. And then you go, well, I don't feel any different. In fact, I'm still kind of troubled. I'm still kind of... And you go, you know, I, I thought... I would leap like the uh, uh, the cows that escaped Shirley's uh, 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 last week, huh? They they got out of the pen. Um, yeah, um, the scriptures talk about how they you know you leap and that cow. Kind of, uh, yeah, but, and sometimes that doesn't happen. It's not that you're not forgiven. It's not that, but there does come a point at which the Lord then grants you, and and we need to trust in the words themselves, whether I feel it or not. I just heard the words that I'm forgiven, and thus it is so. Um, and And it takes some time. It may be the same thing that you experience with your spouse in which they have done something and and uh, they are, or you've done something and you've confessed your sins and they've told you you're forgiven and you kind of go, yeah, but our relationship is still, it's going to take a while. Okay. Uh, we understand that. Uh, and so, uh, this is a the beginning of the prayer of sanctification, asking that the Lord who has heard our confession and forgiven us, that he is working this in us. Let's keep going. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood, good old God, the God who saves me and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. It actually goes on to 17, but let me uh, uh, talk about this. Uh, Having been saved, having been changed, what does it say? Um, it's time that you, having taught me your way, that I'm going to speak about it. I'm going to teach others about that way so that they too might turn back to you, that they too might learn about confession and forgiveness. Well, that's verse 17. Verse 14 says, The one who has saved me from blood guilt, the one who has saved me from uh, death, uh, 
now give me a tongue, a mouth to declare your praise. You know, verse 14, a tongue to sing. It's asking that we might speak it out of our mouth. What has happened? What has been given to us? Verse 16 and 17. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 16 says, you do not delight in sacrifice. Um, If there was going to be forgiveness through my offering a sacrifice, well, I'd do it if that's what you said. Uh, But you didn't say that. Oh, um, you're you're not simply happy with with burnt offerings, outward sacrifice, uh, these kind of things. What do we find out? The sacrifices which God desires of those who have sinned, it says, is a broken and contrite heart. He desires us to respond to him saying, listen, your law has shown me my sins. Uh, a broken and contrite heart. So that's what I'm going to bring to you. Again, you, you've only brought that out of my lips by means of the law, but I'm, I'm going to bring that forth because that's what that's what you desire, the one who has given me forgiveness. 18 and 19. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be... In the last verse, righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Oh, I thought he said he didn't want sacrifice. Well, he didn't just want sacrifice. What did he want? A contrite heart. And when the contrite heart then offers up free will offerings, then the Lord is pleased. If we offer God up, here, God, I'll, I'll give you some money for forgiveness. He's not pleased. But if having received forgiveness freely through Christ, confessing our sins, and then we say, out of thankfulness, I wish to offer you, Lord. Ah, oh, he's pleased. Then the sacrifices, which are thanks offering, is that which is received. So here we see Psalm 51 all lined out. We start the offertory with verse 10. Psalm 51, verse 10. Why don't we start it with verse 1? Well, that's the confession. That's the confession. Oh, why don't we start it with verse 6 or whatever it was? That's the forgiveness. We've done that. We've been there. We've been. Ah, right. Not only have we been there at the beginning of the service, but also, when more recently have we had the law showing us our sins and the gospel giving us forgiveness? Right before this, it's the the other sermon just gave us this, and so it seems perfectly in line. For the next thing, all right, I've been forgiven. Let's ask that the Lord would create this right spirit within me. Or especially if the pastor has shown me my sin, shown me the forgiveness, and said, now this is the way that we live as a Christian, 
and you would say, all right, Lord, give me that. Create in me what that pastor said. He said I ought to love my neighbor. Give me a love of my neighbor. I now realize, yep, I'm, I'm not that way. Okay, give me a willing spirit. Give me that which I would uh, desire. You can see that this, I mean, it, it just fits. It just is, it, it's perfect. Um, now, uh, as well, well, what, what's, there are a couple others. Some 51, 17 to 19, you know, as we, I went through as well, you can see why it might be appropriate for us to sing at some point the sacrifice, you know, further down in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are broken spirit, broken contact, um, so that we would do the good pleasure, you would be pleased. And that would fit. That would fit, absolutely. Um, or Psalm 116 happens to be another option. So what shall I render to the Lord for all its benefits toward me? Ah, so when have we heard about the benefits that God has given to us? The sermon. The sermon. All through the service. All through the service, especially the sermon. And so what does it say? Well, what am I going to give God? Well, I'm going to take up the cup of salvation. Huh. Take up the cup of salvation. That's coming up. The what? That's coming up. It's coming up. We're getting ready to have the chalice. We're going to have the cup of salvation. We're going to have the Lord. You know, and, and, and you say, well, you know, it's it's not saying, well, I'm going to take up the uh, the shovel of work righteousness. You know, I'm going to take up the plow that earns me the, you know, what am I taking up? If God's given you. God's got a gift. And he says, here you go. Here's a gift. And, and the way you show thankfulness is you drink it up. I, you know, uh, um, you know if, if, if you bring me a, a, a cake, you know, I show my thankfulness by cutting it up, eating it. Um, I'm going to take up, I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord. I'm going to praise God for what he has done. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Yeah, all right, so there's some vows I have. What are my vows? Yeah, um, to confess sins, to receive forgiveness. I mean, it, it, it's kind of like where the Lord says, you know, my yoke is light. Is there a yoke? Yeah. But it, it's it, it's not it's not trying to earn. Precious in the sight of the Lord, the death of his saints. Oh, Lord, truly I am your servant. Um, you've loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. That was what I was describing, those two things. And so, wow, what a, what a difference. So you can see how that kind of fits together. Um, there was another one as well in Lutheran worship, Let the Vineyards Be Fruitful, Lord. Um, I'm, it, it's not one of our listings. Um, I'm not going to go through it. Um, I actually can tell you that I, I uh, it's very poetic. It has a lot of, of subtle references to Lord's Supper and things of that sort. Um, but if you sit down and go through it, um, it's nearly not, it just doesn't say a whole it's lot. It's not Psalm 51. It's not <laughs> Psalm 51, yeah, it's just not. It, 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 you know, there are things where you can kind of go, well, I think it's saying this. Is it really saying, well, it's, it's, 
One might say it's so subtle as to lack substance, which I even remember as a kid being like, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so it, 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 it has kind of those things. Um, before I get into just a little bit more, because that, that gives us our offertory sentences, that gives us after that then is the receiving of the offering. I want to go through some of the Bible passages that are included in that. But um, there is a bit of a uh, question uh, regarding the order of things. And so uh, Reed, in his explanation, you might remember he wrote a commentary that dealt with the common service, and then he moved on to the common liturgy. And so some of his things... Uh, are, are, are speaking of, of those kind of things. He does go through, as he talks about this offertory, and the history things that he mentions with it are, are quite true. He said, you know, uh, there was, uh, in the early church, an offertory procession. That is, at this point, the people would bring forward, they would profess, process forward, with gifts. Some of those gifts would be bread and wine that was to be used for the Lord's Supper that day. Some of those gifts would have been uh, gifts to give to the poor, uh, alms and and things of that sort. Uh, Some of those gifts would have been to support the pastor and and his, and and that's where you kind of had this offertory procession uh, that came forward. Uh, later on, in about the fourth, uh, 14th century on, uh, late medieval period, the reformers uh, rejected some of these things. Let me read. In the primitive church at this point in the service, the people brought food and other gifts to the poor for the support of the clergy. They came in an offertory procession and placed their gifts on the table near the altar. Uh, in agreement with the custom of dedicating to God everything used in his service, these gifts came to be offered before their consecration and kind of prayer of thanksgiving, much like an extended grace at uh, mealtime. Uh, later, this uh, involves some, some other things. Uh, he talks about the bread and wine being brought. By the 14th century, the so-called... Little canon, and then he's talking about the offertory, those three parts kind of thing, included, besides the prayers, some other things, like the mingling of water with the wine, the offering of the host and the chalice and a prayer before them, the incensing of the altar and the elements, the washing of hands. And with that, there were prayers that went with each of one of those. And in fact, the old Roman had seven prayers that went for, one for the chalice, one for the bread, one for the wine, one for this. Uh, um, And as he goes on to say, they were admittedly of a poorer quality than the prayers of the canon which followed. Um, In fact, uh, the central prayer of the offertory was one called Suscipe Sancte Pater, um, receive, O Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, this spotless host, uh, which I, thy unworthy servant, offer unto thee, my living and true God, for mine own countless sins, for the offenses and negligence for all here present, also for all the faithful Christians living and dead, uh, that they may avail for my own and their salvation unto life eternal. 
these prayers, especially these seven, and this is pretty typical, often almost every one of them talk about, except my sacrifice. I'm getting ready to make a sacrifice, accept it. Um, this one always talks both about the living and the dead. Even the dead can get benefits from this, and that I might uh, offer this up. Um, because of this, as the reformers went forward, all the reformers rejected the Roman offertory. Now, not the Psalm 51, not the thing, but the prayers. Um, and its idea of a sin offering by the priest instead of it being a thank offering by the people. Luther, with his conviction of the sacrament as a gift of God to man and not an offering of man to God, called the Roman offertory an abomination, which made everything sound and smell of oblation, repudiating the things which reek of sacrifice and of the offertory together with the entire canon. Let us retain those things which are pure and holy and thus order our Mass. And so pretty well all of those offertory <laughs> prayers that talked about sacrifice uh, were uh, cut out. I think the... <coughs> did I include it in, in your... Um, I don't know if I included it in your one. Um, here's Luther's words uh, in the Deutsche Messe. He says, Eighth, that utter abomination which follows, which forces all pe- that precedes in the Mass into its service, and is therefore called the Operatory. From here on, almost everything smacks and savors of sacrifice. And the words of life and salvation are embedded, that is the words of institution, are embedded in the midst of it all, just as the Ark of the Lord once stood in the idol's temple next to Dagon. So he says, you got the words of institution, which are fabulous, and it's surrounded by all of this sacrifice talk. Um, the offertories in the beginning, the Mass, a uh, canon of the Mass as its sacrifice talk. Um, he says, and there was no Israelite who could approach or bring back bring back to the ark until it smote his enemies in the hinder parts, putting them to a perpetual reproach, and forced them to return it, which is a parable of the present time. So he says, let us pull that thing out of that Dagon's temple and, and keep the best part. Let us therefore repudiate everything that smacks of sacrifice together with the entire can and retain only that which is pure and holy, and so order our mass. So there was a uh, a little bit of a question concerning what about the order of things? Let me uh, give you, here is uh, the order of service uh, which, which we follow from invocation, confession, absolution, curia, gloria, you got the colic, we got a reading, epistle, gospel, the creed, hymn, sermon, pastor says the bodum afterwards, the offertory, the general prayer, and then starts the uh, service of Lord's Supper. And you might remember we've talked, you know, it starts with an <coughs> exhortation and a preface and the words of institution, kind of goes down. Usually we talk about how there's kind of two services. Now that being said, there's never actually, you, you never actually just had this service. I mean, they never actually only started with this and did this. It's just that sometimes it went on, and that was the Lord's Supper service. Sometimes 
you stopped there and had prayers and went home. But um, but there, you can see how the sermon votum is followed by offertorium prayers and then the Lord's Supper and that goes after that. Um, on your sheet, Strodok says the present use of the offertory sentences, the creed and the end that we have, it should not be interpreted as connected with the sermon or the votive. Don't, don't, don't think that it goes with that which has come before, like the sermon and that, but always look at it as introductory and inspirational to the offering of gifts. The create in me, 51, is supposed to go with the offering of the gifts. Reed says even more. Reed says the common liturgy, now we're not talking common service, common liturgy, moves the offertory, the create in me canticle, to after the offering. It had been before it in the common service. Because, Reed complained, quote, a popular misunderstanding came to regard these sentences as a response to the sermon. And again, Reed invoked the early church, saying, well, they had uh, uh, offering stuff. In the primitive church at this point in the service, the people brought food and other gifts for the poor and for the support of the clergy. But in our common service, Bishop Heiser wrote, he says, now, of course, because of the Roman notions linking the offertory prayers that were in use at the time of the Reformation to notions of sacrifice, the Lutherans rejected such offertories and placed the verses, Psalm 51, in its place, saying, listen, it's not sacrifice. In case you haven't uh, 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 seen the offertory, oh, um, I'm going to show you one other thing. The offertory... In the Latin Mass, the one that the, the Luther and them in, in, inherited, and we again had been changed from about the 14th century on, you had the beginning of the service. You had the uh, introit and gloria and the readings and the gospel and the creed. And they made a distinction that the service changed at this point, not at this point. They saw the offertory as the beginning to the second part, not a response to the first part. Now, granted, if you have something here, it's obviously going to follow something and something's going to follow. But, but why did they see the offertory prayer and the offering of wine and the receive the sacrifice... They saw that as preparation for the big offering, which was to offer up to God the Lord's Supper as a sacrifice so that he might forgive. And so this is the preparatory, these are the prayers that go with it, this is the uh, communion, and then there is, is the following. You can see that the Lutherans... Uh, um, definitely saw, although it was here, and I would say, yes, it does, Mom, we can see connections, but they definitely understood it 
not the way Reed did. And so when Reed comes along, especially with the common uh, liturgy, he says, we had to switch the order. Now, all before, you know, oh, we got to follow the history, we got to follow the history. And at this point, he goes, oh, no, we got to switch the order because people aren't getting this. So we're going to have the offering happen before, and then we're going to have the offertory happen afterwards so they see it as going there with the other. And Strada follows it. They, they, they both say it. Um, I don't think so. Uh, in fact... It's quite interesting if I go to you know uh, uh, the way they often see this this offering. Once you start with the offertory, it's all about our self surrender and our oblation, our sacrifice, uh, which we offer up to God in these offertory prayers um, that we give to Him. Oh, Holy Father, accept this unspotted host we would, uh, that we are giving up to you. Um, we offer up to thee the chalice of salvation that it may ascend. Uh, we offer up to you that this sacrifice which we offer this day and this sight may be pleasing. You know, that's the way it was, it was done. If you go and find out what about this offertory, uh, they go on to talk about this is an essential part of it, uh, of, of the service. And I would say, yeah, you're absolutely right. But not because it is me offering up myself with Jesus. It's not because we're, we're both offering stuff up. No, it's, it's a different uh, thing. And so you will see... That blue sheet which we've looked at before, once again, the offering, offertory, the offering and the prayer, they all go with the service of the word. The preface, and that which follows after, goes with the service of the sacrament. So that we don't understand this offering as the beginning of our sacrifice it is our sacrifice, but it's a thanksgiving sacrifice that responds to the word. This, then, is God giving us his gifts, not us offering up to him. This becomes sacrament, what we give to him. Questions? So, I've forgotten. What was Drodak's reasoning for saying, switching them? Um. Strodok didn't give a reading. Reed gave his reasoning. Oh, okay, Reed. Okay. Um, Reed was the one that said, we're going to switch it. And, and I'm going to say, I, I don't know if... if, if that, that was one of the biggest changes for me, is that all of a sudden I got around, and that you kept kind of going, well, what happened there? Why was that? Um, and, and this is so that you would understand this as the beginning of your sacrifice leading to the other. It, it's it's not Lutheran. It's not Lutheran. And 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 you might say, well, can can you see that by just a little change in the order of the liturgy? Yeah, that's what that's what it was intended to do. Well, I'm going to eat up about five minutes of your time. In Psalm 51, in the introduction to Psalm 51, which is actually in the Hebrew text, David says. 
or the, the introduction says, for, for, for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now that's the motivation for David writing Psalm 51. That he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered. So, you see, David realizes that, you know, I'm not such a good guy. And so, where does he go with this? What was the punishment for adultery then? They were supposed to take David and Bathsheba out and stone him. That was the punishment. So David, in his in the privateness of his house, when he when he realized he wasn't going to get stoned, he says to God, "Have mercy on me." And the the the, the first part of this hymn, up up or psalm, the first part of this psalm up to the end of verse nine is David begging God to change him and forgive him and change him. Then in verse 10, he begins to tell God what God has been telling him all all along, that, that, that God is going to change him by what? creating in him a pure heart. God is not going to cast him away. God is going to restore him. And David then is, in verse 13, going to teach transgressors God's way. And God is saving him from blood guilt. You see, this is the difference between Lutheran and Catholicism and the Reformed. Because, you see, David knows that of himself, he's going to be right back committing adultery with Bathsheba or some other woman, whatever. It doesn't make any difference. He's going to be the same sinner as he was. And God then comes to him. That's what we're saying in the service. God has come to you with his forgiveness. Now the Holy Spirit is working in you. And these are the things that he is doing. They're not something that we conjure up because we've been given or been forgiven. They're the things that God does through us as we are forgiven. We love our husbands or wives because God works in us. We love our neighbor as ourselves because God works in us. You see, and it's not a problem of, well, I don't love my wife, I'm mad at her. That's not God's problem. He's still working love in me. The problem is my old sinful nature. And so when I don't love my wife, what do I do? That's not a rhetorical question. What do I do? Confess my sins. And then what happens? You do it again. 
<laughs> That's right. You mean confess? You keep doing it, and you keep receiving the same gifts that David received. That's what's happening in the service. Okay. Here. The, what? I was just going to say, I just remember a class that we had, and we talked about, um, I think it was a summer class, and we talked about um, the Christian life, exactly. forgiveness, and it's contrition, yes. forgiveness. Now, you know, um, that one article that I mentioned where it talked about, hey, listen, this is a, uh, an important part of the, of the service. Uh, it's not just a necessary thing someone decided, well, we probably ought to get some money. Um, you know, I, no, I mean, it actually fits in the service. And that it is done is not a matter of, uh, as we mentioned before, uh, a, a, a have to. This is where the Lord has created this in me, and this is to be my... Uh, my fruits of faith. It shows forth what I have done. Um, I did pull out for you, this is a sheet that I use, periodically I'll use it during the year, usually about this time, because usually we're getting ready for budgets for next year and things of that sort. But I also use it in connection with new members and explaining things, because this offering, how does this go? Now, I will grant you, and I have heard... um, uh, you might remember, uh, well, we had a financial man in the congregation. Harold was in our congregation. Uh, he was not a Christian uh, when he was in Colorado before. And one of the things he, that he, he told me, he said, one of the things, he said, I went to a Lutheran church, and he said, uh, I, I was of the opinion that all of those Christians are just about money. He said, and I actually went to a service, and they didn't have a collection. And he said, I thought, well, that is, you know, maybe I got this thing wrong. Um, so I, I understand that that may have a profession, and it did for him, similar to what we've done before. There was a plate in the back, and the members knew where to go. But uh, um, nevertheless, this does teach Christians this is part of the Christian life. It's no different from loving your neighbor, you know, or, or, or uh, these kind of things. Um, but, and I, I'm sorry, I thought I had where I could put it up on the board. I forgot to convert it. But anyway, um, here's what it says. Look at the top. The worksheet to determine your weekly offering. Uh, from 1 Corinthians 7, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The first uh, principle of Christian response and giving, sacrifice of thanksgiving, is one that everything belongs to God. Everything. He's the creator of heaven and earth. Uh, you and your life is not yours. You know, someone says, well, it's my, my life. I can, I can suicide if I want to. It's not. God gave it, you know, as a, as a trust to you. So everything you have is, is his, and we come to learn that. And so, you know, if, if you, you know, say to me, hey, uh, so pastor, um, you know, I make, uh, uh, I made $10,000. How much of it belongs to God? I go, about 10,000. 
you know. Um, well, I thought maybe he only wanted, you know, no, he wants it all. He wants it all. Just write it out. Give me the check. Um, you know, oh, ah, what? And I go, well, that being said, we have to start at that point. I mean, our time, our life, our money, I, it all belongs to God. Number one, however, percentage giving. Give in proportion to how you have been blessed. Uh, that is not just when you attend service. You know, this isn't paying for a presentation or a concert. Um, what do you do? Well, the scriptures say in Deuteronomy 16 that we are to give in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. 1 Corinthians 16. The Old Testament required a tithe, a 10%. Um, and, and that 10% not only went towards the temple and toward, you know, things of that sort, but it was actually also, I, I'm going to say what, what we would call um, taxes. <laughs> you know, it, it went for the upkeep of Israel and, and things of that sort. But a tithe was the Old Testament. In the New Testament, what does God require? Does he require a tithe? No. Well, 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 oh, so, you know, you kind of got like Old Testament life. Is it like a 9% tithe or is it an M? No. Does he require more? No. What does he say? He says, give as you've been blessed. If you've been blessed greatly, you give greatly. If you've been blessed little, you give little. You set aside a percentage, whatever that might be, um, and, and God has not said. Some might give a 10%. Some might give a 3%. Some might give a 20%. I, I don't know. Um, it just says that we are to give as we have been blessed. You look at your blessings. You look at your thing. You give as you've been blessed. Second thing, number two, first fruits giving. Don't give God leftovers. Determine ahead of time and trust God that he'll provide the rest. So 1 Corinthians 16 also says, On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. So you set this aside. But you don't go, all right, uh, um, Sunday starts, you know, starts the week. I, I, I get all the way through the week, and now it's time for Sunday morning. I kind of go, well, let's see, I got about, oh, I got about that much left. Okay, we'll give God what's left. Christian giving is a matter of deciding at the beginning of the week how much you wish to give to the Lord. And you give him the first part, and this is in the you know, uh, uh, Old Testament as well as the New, that you give the first part, trusting he'll take care of the rest. It's a matter of trust uh, in that. So if you decide I'm going to give my $10, you give it at the beginning week and trust that the Lord, all of it belongs to him, but, but you do it in, in that order. And number three, cheerful giving. Give cheerfully, not of reluctance or compulsion. This is not a have-to. This is not earning your salvation. This is not a requirement. As I said, God hasn't required at all. Jesus Christ is the only guilt offering for Christians. And he paid that price. So what do we do? 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, Look at your blessings. Choose whatever that percentage, whatever that thing might be at the beginning of the week, and say, can I cheerfully give this amount of money? If I can't cheerfully give it, then back it off. What can you cheerfully give? 
Um, that's what you are to give. You can't give $10, you give $5. And if I'm happy to give that, great. It should be a cheerful giving. And so those are kind of the base principles that come from this. I think it's also put into, I would say, as our offertory, it becomes, after I have been forgiven, now I look at this and say, give me a willing spirit that I want to do this. And I wish to give as the Lord has has blessed me. Um, you know, to help you out, here's a little bit of a chart. I go from, you know, if you make $10 a week, uh, you're probably going to make 40 bucks a month, and you'll make 520 in the year. What do you do? We'll go over to, if you want to give 10%, you're going to have to give a dollar a week. If you make 10 bucks a week, that's all this chart does. But it is something that I would say you teach not only yourself, but you also teach your children how to follow this kind of thing, uh, whether that means, you know, the, the usual kind of whatever you bring your 10 bucks in, you get to live on $8. You put $1 in a thing for the offering. You put $1 in savings, you know, in a jar, and you got it done. I mean, however you're going to do it, that is kind of the simple way that it, it makes it. But again, it comes back to, as I'm going to talk about, this, it's got to be out of joy. It's got to be in response. The sacrifice has to be a thanksgiving sacrifice. Tony Prosca. Yeah, beware of your sinful nature. Uh, how many of you know about that uh, God's Little Acre? Is it Faulkner who wrote that story? The guy would go around in the spring with a cross and he'd plant the cross in the ground and whatever the great acre grew that was the Lord's but the sinful nature gets in as he's walking around he can't give him an acre of good ground so he puts it in the middle of a stream thinking that the Lord would like to have it nice and cool that summer <laughs> the devil's going to be right there talking to you you don't really need to do this <laughs> be careful. <laughs> All right. Um, any questions? The passages that are included, and I included a couple extra that are included with this. Um, so we'll probably come back and, and finish some of those out as we move on to the third part of that offer. So we got the sentences, we got the offering itself, and and then we've got the general prayer. And that prayer, too, is a offering uh, uh, in response to what we have been taught and asking God for the things that he has given. But uh, Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal goes on to say, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And so, uh, these these treasures in heaven uh, are the things that your heart desires. And so let the Lord teach you about the things uh, that are, are heavenly things, uh, that we might see those as our blessings. Matthew 10, whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of water, cold water, in the name of a disciple, assuredly I sell it. I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. I'm going to talk about this uh, in the sermon as, as it relates to forgiving and loving your enemy kind of thing. But the Lord does this 
if there is a uh, faith and the fruits of faith, the thing that the Lord is, is asking us to do at the present, sometimes he looks back and says to us, you ought to do this uh, because of the forgiveness and what I have done for you. Okay, What great treasures have I given you? Oh, you've given me, yes. So therefore I have to. Sometimes the Lord looks forward and speaks of the reward and says, aha, those who are generous in giving, they don't lose their reward. They have a reward in heaven. Sometimes we look back at what the Lord has done. Sometimes we look forward. But each of those is to be a a motivation for, for the present. Mark 12. One more passage. Mark 12. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury, sat down, uh, and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many were rich, put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. You see, not only that the amount is not important, just as I talk about the percentage, that that's not good. But as it says here, they gave out of abundance. They gave after they had received. This would be the leftovers. She, seeing even her poverty, gave at the beginning that which uh, uh, she needed and said, no, this is I'm going to trust that the Lord will provide. And so we begin to see uh, the uh, distinctions that you have. Uh, regarding uh, giving an offering. Questions? All right, let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for your word and the forgiveness that it gives. And we ask, dear Lord, that in our lives we might live as forgiven Christians, always showing forth a uh, sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.